VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about celebrity trials. Do celebrities get more justice? And, of course, the reason for talking about that today is the Phil Spector trial that has almost begun. (laughs) It began and and seems to be sort of a false start between the lead defense attorney, Bruce Cutler, becoming ill and the trial being postponed. And um, a new wrinkle, um, Deputy District Attorney Alan Jackson is now asking that Spectre's defense uh, team be sanctioned because they didn't uh, give, the, uh, give them the information about one of their expert witnesses, uh, Henry Lee, and all of the information that he was going to be talking about, all of his opinions uh, during discovery, which they are supposed to be doing. Now, of course, um, Phil Spector, in case let's just lay some background, Phil Spector uh, is on trial for the murder of actress Lana Clarkson, and who he is uh, accused of shooting by a bullet through the mouth. And the question is, did she, who pulled the trigger? So on the uh, show today are two uh, attorneys who are celebrities in their own right. Not only do they get to in, embroiled in various celebrity trials, but um, they are all they are both. Uh, frequent commentators on in the media, on television, on the radio, and uh, commenting about trials. So, welcome to the show, Eric Dubin and Brian Oxman. Well, thank you for, so much for having me. This is Brian Oxman. Hey, and thank you, Eric here. Now, um, just a little background. Eric is uh, the attorney who won a $30 million jury verdict in the wrongful death lawsuit against Robert Blake, the civil suit. And Brian Oxman has represented um, actresses and astronauts and Michael Jackson. <laughs> and uh, Brian, I, I, appreci- I, well, I appreciate both of you coming on the show, but I was a little surprised and pleased, Brian, that you uh, um, were willing to be a, a guest on my show, considering that we were both, what would you call it, um, to, on the polite side to say uh, on different sides of the fence in the Michael Jackson trial or to the other extreme sort of arch enemies in the Michael Jackson trial. Well, I consider it, Carol, that we are kissing cousins and that uh, we are always there to uh, fuss and fight over these things, but when it comes down to real human beings, you are fabulous. Well, thank you. And you are too, both of you. Um, yes, we'll have to, we'll, we'll maybe get into that a little bit too, uh, sort of the background of of that trial. But why don't we start with the Phil Spector trial? Um, oh, and I should say also, as way of introduction, that the three of us um, are kissing cousins in the sense that we are all we all contributed essays to Larry King's latest book, which is Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. And um, we each wrote essays about things that different things that we 
each felt that we believed in beyond a reasonable doubt. We'll talk about that as well. But why don't we start with the Phil Spector trial? I think um, I think it's you know each trial now is is the, the trial of the century until the next one comes along, and we're still pretty early on in the century. So it doesn't matter whichever one of you want to go first. Um, why don't you start with your opinions on it? Actually, you know, um, Eric, you, your essay in Beyond a Reasonable Doubt actually sort of relates most closely to this case in a sense. So why don't you start? Yeah, well, the chapter I wrote for Beyond a Reasonable Doubt was The Power of Celebrity Silence. And it kind of talked about what I consider a modern-day formula for um, freeing a celebrity charged with one of these crimes, which is use the First Amendment outside of the court and take the Fifth Amendment inside. And uh, it's a pattern that you've seen in a lot of cases, including mine with Blake, where you'll see the lawyers for a couple of years in the media, uh, you know, getting out their evidence, uh, whether it's going to be admissible at trial, and a lot of times inadmissible at trial, and they know that going into it. And then, um, you know, getting the message to the jury pool, and then when the trial comes, uh, making sure their celebrity doesn't take the stand. So the visual the jury will have is the celebrity in their prime, as opposed to the celebrity talking about the crime. And that's something I think you're going to see right with Phil Spector. I would be shocked if he took the stand. Um, and I think that was something they were conditioning the jury in uh, during the jury selection, that will you hold it against him when he doesn't take the stand? Hmm. Well, you know, I think you made a very interesting point in the essay about how because we um, have come to love um, these people in a way or, you know, be awed by them or whatever, come to sort of be aligned with them in some way uh, as celebrities like O.J. running down the field for people who were fans of football, for example, um, that we, when, when they don't take the stand... We don't want to believe um, that they could actually have committed this crime, so so we are more likely to give them a reasonable doubt. Yeah, and that's exactly what I talked about in Larry King's book. That it's the analogy would be a close friend of yours being charged with a crime that is uncharacteristic and and out of the blue, and without the chance of ever looking your friend in the eye and asking him if he did it you may always have some doubt that the person you, you knew or thought you knew couldn't do something like that. And over the decades, we get to know these people like a Blake or a Simpson or Michael Jackson, um, who people have grown up with and loved or for many things. And we kind of um, put our celebrities on a pedestal in the magazines every week and in society. So you're, you're right. They, they don't take the stand. The jury sees O.J. in Buffalo or, or Blake as Beretta. And when it comes to my trial or the Simpson civil trial, where they have to take the stand, that's where we win because they no longer are the icon. They're the defendant charged with a horrible crime. Yes, and their uh, facade crumbles. Um, Brian, what, what do you think about the um, current Phil Spector trial? Well, I take a different view of this particular case, and I think it is absolutely interesting that both Eric and I are on this show with you because your article is about copycat violence right. and Eric's is about the, the Blake case and what it happens with celebrities and mine is the role of the media and the truthfulness with which they report things and all of these things come together in the Phil Spector case a violent crime where there is a celebrity involved and I think the media has been uh, remiss in doing anything which remotely 
approaches the truth and validity of what this case is all about. What do you mean? For four years, I have been convinced, and this is where reasonable doubt comes to play, I have been convinced that Phil Spector was guilty. I did not like the fact that there were all these women who had claimed and uh, made reports that he had uh, threatened them, taken guns to them. I did not like the fact that he had made statements to the police saying that uh, he uh, didn't mean to shoot her. And I did not like the fact that this looked like a fellow who was absolutely strange. In this respect, his celebrity hurt him badly. Mm. His persona is that he is a weirdo. Michael Jackson had the same kind of difficult persona to deal with. What we have to do in the courtroom is we have to get all by that, and we have to look at the facts and the evidence. So I've looked at Phil Spector from what the media has reported and this persona of weirdness. Then I hear the opening arguments, and now I have severe doubt, and I think we call it reasonable doubt, as to whether or not he committed this crime because he does not have gunshot residue on him, and he does not have blood splatter to the same kind of degree that Lana Clarkson has all over her body and her clothing. And I'm going, how in the world did this man shoot this woman? Where was he? Was he standing in a bubble that he had no gunshot residue on him, that he had no blood splatter on him? It doesn't make sense. And this is why reasonable doubt in the courtroom is so critical. What we hear in the media, what the persona of a celebrity might be, it doesn't matter. We want to listen to the evidence inside that courtroom, and that's where reasonable doubt is the big player. So, okay, are you saying, in other words, that you think that for all these years while we were awaiting trial, that the media purposely didn't report the information about... Um, the, the forensic evidence about what, his not having blood over all over him and, and that kind of thing, or do you think that it was just that this came out more recently, that the experts were doing their work more recently? I think a combination. We wanted to hear the weirdness of Phil Spector. That's what generated the ratings for all of the shows. That's what sold the newspapers and the articles and magazines. That Spector is an oddball, that he threatens women... That's what we wanted to hear. We didn't want to hear the very tedious, time-consuming scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. And the combination of that, I don't think it came out in the, the same kind of great detail that it came out in opening arguments. Uh, so it really wasn't all that available. But whether it was or it wasn't, as a public, we consume the tabloid nature and the oddness of this case, and that's what we wanted to hear. Well, yes, I think that's um, that's a good point. Um, we're probably going to be uh, hearing the music soon to have to t because we need to take a break. Um, when we come back, we'll we'll talk more about this. I, I have my own uh, uh, thoughts about it as well as to whether he's uh, guilty or innocent. But it is troubling that um, that the forensics don't seem to go along with what my theory was anyway. So we'll be back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guests today are two uh, celebrity attorneys who do celebrity cases, Eric Dubin and Brian Oxman. We're talking about celebrity trials and whether or not celebrities get more justice. So stay tuned. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. 
Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about celebrities and whether or not they get more justice with my celebrity attorneys, Eric Dubin and Brian Oxman. Um... We're talking, of course, today about this because uh, we're at the beginning of the Phil Spector trial. And my um, theory about all of this, and, and again, it was before hearing and really not being an expert in uh, the forensics about blood splatter and all of that, but, um, you know, I, be, I saw this or I see this as fitting together psychologically. That's why... Um, it does seem as if he's guilty, and it's kind of interesting because in the book that we've all contributed essays to, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, Larry King writes that um, it really isn't a law that you have to say in the media that a person is innocent until proven guilty, although, as I'm sure you both know as well, that if we are talking on television, uh, commenting about a case, and we don't preface our remarks by saying, of course the person is, is 
you know, uh, innocent until proven guilty, the, the host usually gets pretty uptight. Have you both had that experience? Well, yeah, in fact, the um, lawyer who represents uh, Anne Nicole Smith's mother just got sued by Howard Stern over being too strong and saying that Howard Stern killed or contributed to yes. the death. So, yeah, you you have to be careful. I've always been careful about how I phrase things. Well, okay, taking that um, to heart, you know, I certainly don't have any personal knowledge that Phil Spector is guilty or not, um, but just as a psychiatrist and an expert witness, it seems to me that um, the method in which the timing and the method in which uh, the murder occurred, let's put it that way, um, is very makes sense in the sense that if a he, he seems to be, according to the women who have testified, the one who has testified, and the others who are due to testify, it seems that when um, he allegedly threatened them with a gun was when they wanted to leave. And so there's this whole issue of abandonment, you know, which really does, um, I mean, that was in the O.J. case, too, for that matter. I mean, that's a kind of, um, there is a kind of profile um, of a man who is um, abusive or kill to the point of killing a woman, where he, it's a fear of the woman abandoning him, which comes actually from uh, the person's mother having abandoned them psychologically or actually in childhood. And so, you know, the idea that the gun went off just when she was supposedly trying to leave or these other women were, we I guess we know better from them, um, makes sense. And also, it seems to go along with the fear of or the actual situation where there is sexual inadequacy because whoever put the gun in her mouth that is, you know, in Freudian terms, symbolic of the sex act. And so if a man, hypothetically, um, had a fear of being sexually inadequate or was actually sexually inadequate, that rage that that would cause could indeed um, push someone to the point of wanting to carry out the act symbolically by putting the gun in a woman's mouth and expressing that rage. Now, what do you both think of that? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty deep. <laughs> I think you're being too friendly on the whole abandonment issue. I think it's a guy who got what he wanted most of the time um, and wasn't used to being said no to and would pull out that gun to make his point. Um, I just have a real hard time with, number one, the, the phrase, and maybe you can help me with this, accidental suicide. Seems like a complete contradiction in terms, but, I mean... Very, very just, poor, very uh, poor phrase. Let's just run with that for a second. You're saying that this beautiful woman... Wait, who ...shot herself in the face in a stranger's house with her purse on her shoulder about to leave? I mean, that's just deep for me to believe. Wait, wait, no, I'm not saying that she, that she did. Well, I'm just saying that the fence is saying that. Okay. And, and I just... You know, I, the, the fact that he put these gun in other women's mouth is almost like icing on the cake to me. That just kind of confirms what you already know happened. Um, whether he meant to pull the trigger or whether he, you know, uh, was playing a very violent um, game of intimidation and the gun went off, I'm not sure really matters. Um, and i got to tell you both, in, in the Blake trial for over the years, I became a little too knowledgeable on this whole gunshot residue thing and... I can say one thing with absolute certainty. Every time you fire a gun, even the same exact gun, you get a different result on that gunshot thing. There's no consistency. There's no science to it, really. 
and um, it easily washes off. Hmm. Brian, what? what? I, I I agree. Every time a gun is fired, it is a, a happenstance as to where the gunshot residue falls. But on this particular case, there are two specks of lead on Phil Spector's right hand where there are apparently between hundreds of thousands and millions on Lana Clarkson's uh, clothing and her hair, her face. Uh, there are none on Phil Spector's clothing, none in that famous hair that we all have thought was so weird and uh, a part of his strange persona. None on any of uh, his, his face uh, tissues or, or any place else. And the question is, is why? This is why reasonable doubt is, is such an important thing. I, who have been convinced that this man did this for all the reasons that Eric is pointing out, it's, it's weird. Uh, I am now saying, wait a minute, somebody has to explain to me this forensics because I am not happy just ignoring it. If nobody will explain it to me, I think the prosecution's got problems here. They've got to explain it, and they cannot just ignore it. Well, do you think that the prosecution is going to win sanctions or, or be able to make something out of the fact that uh, apparently the defense didn't reveal all of Henry Lee's opinions regarding the blood splatter? Well, they're not going to be excluded. Yeah, the, the, the penalty, I'm sure Brian will agree, is the judge will get bad at them and say turn it over immediately and maybe give the DA another week to prepare. But the, the concept of throwing out Henry Lee is, I don't think it's going to happen here. To punish Phil Spector for the faux pas of his attorneys would probably result in a reversal mm -hmm. if there was a conviction. In other words, his defense would be, what a bunch of incompetent dunderhead attorneys who didn't turn this over, and as a result, mm -hmm. I get convicted. Mm -hmm. uh, the judge is not going to do this. He, he could impose monetary sanctions to say, hey, you're not going to fool around like this. You better toe the line. He, like Eric said, give them more time on the prosecution, uh, but highly unlikely that he would prejudice a criminal defendant for the, the error of an attorney. Now, do, do, do either of you, um, are, are you usually uh, on one side or the other? Either of you, do you, I mean, are, are you more defense or more, I mean, what, uh, I mean, for, um, Eric, you were, uh, I, I thought you were asking if Brian and I get along on issues or not. <laughs> well, do you? <laughs> I was going to say no, but go on. I, well, were you ever in a case opposite each other? Yeah, he had some involvement in the Blake case. Oh, I didn't realize. Brian, you were in the Blake case as well? I had a witness who uh, was uh, concerning this whole matter. Uh, she had heard Christian Brando threaten to put a bullet into Bonnie Lee Bakley's head. Huh. And uh, the police did not give that much credence. Uh, she was very afraid of Christian Brando. And the question was, did Christian Brando have something to do with this? Uh, Diane Matson was the name of the witness. Uh, she was just terrified by, by Brando and, and said, hey, you've got to look at him. Uh, ultimately, she did not testify in the case, and ultimately she did not have uh, much to do with this. Uh, Brando did not seem to be a real prime suspect, but he sure looked like one when this case started uh, to be investigated. Hmm. 
Okay, so you have uh, scuffled a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sorry, what, what was your main question? <laughs> I kind of got, oh, it was whether you, you're, whether you are generally on opposite sides, not necessarily in the same case, but whether your, your sympathies go more to the defense or the prosecution. Well, I mean, or in a civil case, you know, the plaintiff or the defense. I think in, in most cases I can be pretty neutral because I have done both sides over my career. So, you know, I, I kind of uh, listen and, and see what I can come up with. And something like Spectre, again, I just got to go back to gunshot residue not being as reliable and the, the idea that he had time to wash his hands and, and, and all that. It's, you know, I agree, you know, a, a talented expert can make a lot out of that, and it may be Spectre's uh, ticket out, um, but in a normal non-celebrity case, this guy's going to prison, much like O.J. and Robert Blake. Well, you know, it's interesting that even though he's a celebrity in a sense, probably a lot of the pe- people on the jury don't see him as as much of a celebrity as, let's say, O.J. or even Robert Blake. I mean, a lot of people outside of the music industry really, you know, who, who are likely to be on the jury, um, really didn't know him as that much of a celebrity, I mean, compared to Michael Jackson or O.J. or, you know. Yeah, you know, what was classic was, I guess, when they called 911 on the night of the murder, uh, the the police lady who answered the phone said something like, "Seal inspector? What are you talking about? I mean, there's no idea who this guy was. Yes. Yeah, this is not an icon in, in everyday household terms, but I still think he falls under the, the you know rich and famous um, defense and benefit of the doubts we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The, the composition of the jury here, I think, is really fascinating and important. There is one fellow who is uh, a county engineer. He lives in Alhambra, and he sees Phil Spector in the Target at Alha- in Alhambra all the time and uh, thinks he's dressed eccentrically, eccentrically and looks weird. And then you've got a TV producer for Dateline NBC who is on the jury who not only has talked to Phil Spector, but he's talked to just about every defense expert and prosecution expert in the case he is not going to be awed by the celebrity. He himself is very well known in the entertainment business. This is a mixed bag and a very, very strange type of combination of people. Uh, I, I wonder if this jury is really going to be affected by the celebrity. You never know. Hmm. I'm surprised that neither side, that, that both sides apparently were okay with those people. Oh, what were they thinking? Is yes. my Is my statement, what were they thinking? Well, we'll come back to find out what my guests are thinking as we tackle this thorny issue again, celebrity trials, the celebrities get more justice. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guests are Eric Dubin and Brian Ochman, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. 
on Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Kerry Douglas Show with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas broadcast each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas, your premier source for faith-based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Muscular Development presents No Bull Radio, bringing you the latest news, gossip, and controversy from the world of bodybuilding. Uncensored, uncompromised, and unrestrained in true MD style. Hosted by the infamous muscle mob, Larry Pepe, John Romano, and Dave Palumbo. Welcome top IFBB professional bodybuilders, industry insiders, and characters you won't find anywhere else every week. No Bull Radio broadcasts each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. If you've ever wondered what the Stern Show would sound like if Howard was a bodybuilding fan, then tune in and find out. Noble Radio, uncensored, uncompromised, unrestrained. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. As the Phil Spector trial is uh, making a false start, but will eventually get underway, we think. We're uh, analyzing it and uh, coming to different opinions. My guests today, Eric Dubin and Brian Oxman, uh, attorneys who have been very involved in a lot of celebrity cases and who are celebrities in a sense themselves, having been... Uh, been commentators on uh, media from print to television to radio. So um, d- during the break, we were chatting, and um, Eric made a good point about uh, um, how the uh, actress Lana Clarkson died. Who was a? She was a. Well, first of all, the, the lesson of this trial is don't go home. <laughs> with a stranger at the wee hours of the morning from a club, even if he is um, somewhat famous. But she was an actress, you know, that people are calling her a B actress. She was in, the, she was a star of movies such as Barbarian Queen and Amazon Woman on the Moon. Uh, she was a very large woman. She was very attractive. And um, Eric, why don't you tell us the point that you were making off the air? Yeah, I tend to shine off the air as a general rule, but I mean, basically you have this beautiful woman who the defense is saying accidentally killed herself by blowing her face off. And uh, aside from just being ridiculous as a, as a phrase and as a defense, um, I just don't see this beautiful woman, even if she was suicidal, giving them every benefit of the doubt in that argument, which I don't believe anyways, 
that she would have done it by blowing her face off with a gun. Um, to do that to her parents and her friends, I mean, if you're really that desperate, you know, you take a bite on sleeping pills, you do a Marilyn Monroe kind of thing, you know, I think that would have been more glamorous to someone with that mindset of Hollywood and vanity being her entire life, basically. And getting back to the gunshot residue issue again, you know, the, the benefit of the doubt that the, the celebrity issue that, that we all talk about in the Larry King book, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, is when you're a celebrity, you get that benefit of the doubt. And when you're rich, you can hire talented lawyers and very talented experts to say anything you want. And if it does kind of border, you know, credibility or, or believability, it goes back to the fame giving you that pushover. Well, you know, I can't say beyond a reasonable doubt that she didn't do it. But a non-celebrity, under these sets of facts, a woman at the front door with a purse over her shoulder, apparently looking to leave, get shot in the face by a guy who's been waving guns in women's faces all his life, is going to prison. Um, Phil Spector's probably going to walk out the door. And Brian, what do you think? I think that Eric has a really very valid point, powerful point about people who are rich. I don't think it translates into the celebrity. When somebody has the money to hire all of these experts and put the prosecution to the test of their claims and analyze blood splatter, gunshot residue, which poor people yeah. do not have the capability of doing, the prosecution's batting average goes way, way down. They just don't have the same conviction rate of rich people versus poor people. I don't think it translates so much into celebrity because what my experience was, once you get in there, it's sort of like there's butterflies when you start to perform. Everybody's uh, nervous and a Twitter because it's a celebrity and whatnot, but soon those butterflies go away and we are concentrating real hot and heavy on the evidence that's coming out. That's where money makes all the difference in the world in that courtroom and celebrity takes a real far back seat. And I don't see it as celebrity as much as I see the horrible inequality of rich man's justice versus poor man's and justice. You know what, Brian, you're absolutely right. You know, fortune is a tough defense to be for the prosecution, especially with the CSI effect where jurors expect this unrealistic computer printout at the end of an hour. But the combination of fame and fortune is undefeated in modern society. I think you got to go back to the 1920s to find anybody that's ever been convicted with fame and fortune in, in America. Well, let's talk a little about the Michael Jackson case and how, you, you know, be honest. I mean, you know that after the trial, after he was acquitted, um, there was a lot of talk about how it was his both his fame and fortune that um, got him off the hook. What do you think about that? I mean, besides, of course, his brilliant legal team, <laughs> but... The, the first thing is that 80% of the people in America believed Michael Jackson was guilty, and that's after the trial. By way of convincing the public and putting out our point as to what Michael Jackson was all about and what this case was all about, I give us a D-. minus. I think that we did one of the worst possible presentations in that courtroom that could have been done. The only reason why Michael Jackson was successful is that the prosecution got an F, yeah. and they made equally uh, the same number, if not more, mistakes, and the facts of the case were very, very poor. 
Michael had all these things of his oddities and his persona working against him, plus this was a child molestation case. All those things worked against him, but what the facts were is that the prosecution never could put Michael Jackson in the same place at the same time as this alleged accuser. The documents, uh, I did over 120 subpoenas to document where everybody was at any given time from their phone records, credit cards, school records, pharmacy records, medical records, you name the record and I got it. And Michael just wasn't with this young man at any of the times that they claimed he was. And any time he was with the young man, there were so many people present that it was unbelievable. That message never got out. I give us a D- minus in making our presentation to the world because the message never became clear. Well, yes, I agree with you that the prosecution did a terrible job, and I don't know, I don't know how much you know about my involvement in the whole thing, but, um, I mean, I got involved, it's been, it was years, for years I kept looking at Michael Jackson and, you know, hearing about him, studying about him. I actually, many years ago, was the consultant for the first book that was written about him. Um, yes, yes. The Magic and the Madness, or yes. the Music and the Magic and the Madness, whatever it was called. By, um, and, and so I have, had really studied him over the years, and I was concerned about his not being a fit father for his three children. And I kept, uh, when I would do interviews about him over the years, um, I would sort of mutter under my breath afterwards, you know, I really don't think that he's a good father for those children. And the cameramen and the people who were there would always say, yes, we agree. And then when he threw, when he dangled, because <laughs> they threw the baby out the window, when we he dangled... We call the, that the king of pop baby drop. Yes, right. Um, that was so, and I was doing, you know, I was called upon to do interviews, and I said the same thing, you know, he's really a danger to these children. And people, you know, they all agreed. And I walked away and I was thinking, now, who am I expecting to do something about this? I keep muttering this, and I don't do anything about it. And after the uh, baby incident, I kind of felt more of a responsibility to do something. And you both know, I'm sure, that psychiatrists are uh, mandated to report suspected child abuse. And, and I was talking more at that point about emotional and physical abuse, physical in the sense with the baby that, uh, that was a danger to the baby's physical health. But really, it was primarily emotional abuse. And... Um, uh, so I sent a letter to Child Protective Services and, and, ba- and followed it up, and basically nothing was being done. And so then after the Martin Bashir documentary occurred, um, and I, I, dot, I, I watched that, and I wrote down, as I, you probably have a copy, Brian. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> the you, you were reasons, very prominent in all of this. Very, the 18 reasons um, from that documentary alone that showed that he wasn't a fit father, and my goal was to have his children taken away until he, not forever. I mean, it even said in the press, I held a press conference and everybody was there and I gave out the uh, statement. And it wasn't to take them away indefinitely. And I was concerned that he would hurt himself if they were just ripped from him. I even put that in there, that he should be put in a hospital before this happens. But until he gets treatment and then the children be returned to him. And that sort of inadvertently, because I mentioned Gavin in that as part of that, that it seemed like there was something, I don't remember my exact words, but something sexually inappropriate had occurred between the two of them, that's what gave the uh, Child Protective Services and the sheriffs and whoever did it first 
you know, caused them to investigate and ask Gavin questions. And, of course, as we all know, he didn't admit anything at first, and then he did. And But I said to Snedden behind the scenes, um, I mean, I wasn't involved directly as an or indirectly even as an expert witness in that case other than having brought it to people's attention, but inadvertently, but um, but I told Snedden when I heard that his expert psychiatrist what how that he was going to say that um, the, they got the dates all wrong. The idea that this boy would claim that Michael Jackson abused him only after the documentary aired, you know, that that, that he only started abusing him uh, allegedly after this documentary aired made no sense whatsoever. And I think that the part of the problem was that Snedden was getting the wrong information from this psychiatric expert witness and figured that it was just easier to try to, rather than explain to the jury that children uh, often do change their story and why they wouldn't have said it at the beginning and all that kind of um, material, which really would have made a lot more sense. I mean, juries would have understood that, but he just went with this. And I told him from before the trial actually started that he, this was a losing strategy, and indeed, as you said, they got an F. What you're pointing out is one of the primary symptoms of the high-profile case, and I think you're going to see it in the Phil Spector case, and it's talked about in Larry King's book extensively by a lot of different authors, including Eric talks about it, and that is the commotion and craziness that surrounds the high-profile case where nobody can get their act together. Yes, yes. And we uh, need to take a break, but our act is together. We'll be back with it when we come back. We're talking today about whether or not celebrities get more justice, from Michael Jackson to Robert Blake to Phil Spector. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products, get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Living the green life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Whether by choice or by circumstance, the statistics of the effects of missing fathers and the impact on our children, our neighborhoods, and our communities is staggering. How can we interrupt this pattern of violence, gang activity, drug use, and sexual activity among our fatherless children? On Changing a Generation, with author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and host, Terrence Wilson, the focus is on elevating the mindset of this current generation by unveiling viewpoints that inspire people to reach for their dreams. Terrence and his guests reveal how building family relationships, becoming an entrepreneur, and living a Christian life develops future leaders in the next generation of children. Changing a Generation with Terrence Wilson broadcast each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Changing a Generation. 
bringing a message of deliverance to the fatherless on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Muscular Development presents No Bull Radio, bringing you the latest news, gossip, and controversy from the world of bodybuilding. Uncensored, uncompromised, and unrestrained in true MD style. Hosted by the infamous muscle mob, Larry Pepe, John Romano, and Dave Palumbo. Welcome top IFBB professional bodybuilders, industry insiders, and characters you won't find anywhere else every week. No Bull Radio broadcasts each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. If you've ever wondered what the Stern Show would sound like if Howard was a bodybuilding fan, then tune in and find out. Noble Radio, uncensored, uncompromised, unrestrained. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about whether or not celebrities get more justice than the rest of us. And I'm talking with my guests, uh, two celebrity attorneys, Eric Dubin and Brian Oxman. And before the break, we were talking about, um, Brian was talking about the commotion that uh, surrounds celebrity trials. And, you know, I, I just want to make a point. I was talking about, we were talking about the Michael Jackson case before the break. And, you know, because of Michael's celebrity status, I mentioned that at first I just sent a little innocuous letter to Child Protective Services um, regarding his mental fitness as a parent, and, and essentially nothing was done. And it was because nothing was done, and I felt that that had to do with his being a celebrity and being rich. I mean, one of the things that they told me for why they couldn't um, investigate the children as they would normally do for an average person, and I've seen that in, in cases, you know, where they really can terrorize the average person on the street if they suspect uh, abuse, um, the, the excuses that they gave were, first of all, the children didn't go to school, so they couldn't interview them at school, which is where they interview a lot of children who are, you know, where there's a, a suspicion of child abuse. And they said he, the children were locked behind his big gates, um, you know, so they couldn't get to the children. I mean, if this was someone living in Watts or whatever, uh, South Central L.A., you know, they'd be in that person's apartment in a heartbeat. And so the reason why I, I made this press conference and wrote this extensive uh, complaint was part of it was to show that celebrities shouldn't get a different kind of justice than the average person. So why don't you address that, you, because you were starting to talk about the commotion that, that surrounds these kinds of trials. Well, your letter in particular, Carol, had the effect of... of uh reopening the case. Child services had basically said we don't think that there's anything here and they hadn't done anything. And then uh, when your letter showed up, they said, wait a minute, uh, we need to take a, a bigger, closer look at all of this. And that sort of started uh, this whole thing going. So you played a major role in, in all of the commotion surrounding Michael Jackson. And, and the commotion, you're seeing it in the Phil Spector case. The stress on the attorneys is so great from all of this uh, attention which is being given to it. Bruce Cutler is now ill. Uh, the, the trial was suspended, which is a rarity in, in this business to suspend the trial for the illness of just one of the attorneys. I suspect that he is not feeling well uh, in, a, in a major way, and I am concerned about him. And if he is unable to continue, oh my goodness, talk about the commotion that that's going to cause. 
All of the attorneys are horribly stressed. You mentioned this motion uh, to try and eliminate uh, the testimony of Henry Lee because the attorneys didn't do what they were supposed to do. They're sweating bullets. The stress on the attorneys, the commotion being under the microscope is enormous. It causes a post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, and Eric uh, and I both experience this kind of thing. Yes, as you were talking, I was just remembering, wasn't, didn't you get sick during the... Was it you or one of the yes. others? Yes, I got I got sick. I I had uh, pneumonia, which uh, caused a partial collapsed lung. Wow. The I mean, it is. Um, I was working from. I would wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, and I wouldn't go to sleep until five o'clock the next morning. Uh, and I was getting four hours of sleep. The the stress is enormous. I'm stressed out just listening about Brian's stress over there. <laughs> So in the Blake trial, at least the criminal trial didn't. Well, I know there was a whole bunch of changing of attorneys. Was that was that because they just because they didn't get along with him, or were they was it the stress? Were they sick? Yeah, that was mostly Blake trying to delay the trial as much as much as possible once he got free. The most notorious excuse that the the Blake lawyers had was a laptop was stolen right before, yeah. and I actually kind of made an innuendo that it was it wasn't legit and. I could tell you Schwarzbach wasn't very happy with me after that one. But one of the one of the things, one of the oddity that these cases bring that that somebody's uh, uh, house would be broken into and and the laptop with the information about the case would be taken. Uh, these I mean, but Brian, Brian, if you showed up in court and said to the judge, "I'm not ready because my laptop was stolen," you think you'd get a continuance? <laughs> I think in the, the judge, ordinary case, counsel, yeah, you should right. have had a backup. Yeah, pretty much. What, like, what do you do without a backup? We're going. That's exactly the point, and that's and you know that's the ordinary case. They gave uh, uh, Jerry a break. Uh, he was under horrible stress. Uh, I can see it in the eyes of every single attorney in the Specter case, and boy, does that affect the jury and the reasonable mm. doubt and mm. the commotion surrounding these cases and and uh, the difficulty. Uh, there's several articles in Larry's book that talk about the difficulty of handling these serious, high-profile cases. Yeah, i got to tell you, even after I won the Blake case, uh, I saw the um, you know the report later at the press conference, and one of the commentators was saying how horrible I looked, and he was right. I, I looked like, you know, white on white. Uh, the stress takes a toll, especially when it's over and the adrenaline leaves. That, for me, is when the stress really kind of goes to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean I know after uh, even after spending a, as an expert witness, spending a day in court or even a day in a in a deposition for hours and hours and hours and hours. By the end, you just feel when it's over, you sort of uh, collapse and really feel that stress in your muscles. And so, I mean, I'm sure as attorneys who do it more than the one day that you, that I would be testifying on the stand, it, it is it goes on for so long. The continued stress for so long that is really one pays the price for that. Yeah, I've, I've been in. The, in the hospital after many trials for a few days, you know, with the with the replenishment fluids, you know, just you you forget to eat, you forget to sleep, you forget to do anything but the trial, and once that adrenaline leaves, you know, your body does really collapse. So, what do you think? One other thing, um, this this attorney who is ill, Bruce Cutler, um, he apparently defended the mob figure John Gotti. Now, do you think that the jurors know that? And if so, don't you think that that would sort of um, imply 
that uh, Spectre is guilty just because, you know what I mean? Like, that if you have the same attorney who defended a mob boss. You know what's great about that? There's an article in the LA Times today about um, Burt Fields, how during that trial over the Sahara movie, one of the witnesses referenced Tom Cruise, and Burt Fields replied, well, you do know who represents Tom Cruise, don't you? <laughs> and they went crazy in chambers that he poisoned the trial, that, you know, he's bragging, I represent Tom Cruise, so I must be the best. I mean, there's a, a real big backlash for mentioning that. So, I mean, obviously the Dateline guy knows who he is, but whether the average person knows that he's a heavy hitter from New York, mm-hmm. I'm sure they know he's a heavy hitter from New York, but whether or not he represented Gotti is questionable. Mm-hmm. There is an effect at work in this case which which may or may not have a, an impact, and that is the hometown effect. I think that the jurors do recognize that this is the New York defense mm. because the the two major attorneys, uh, Linda Ketty Bodden and Bruce Cutler, both have uh, New York mannerisms and New York accents. They know that. On the other side, we have the prosecution who are hometown guys and gals. That is a major aspect of cases, and in, in a lot of cases, attorneys will complain, I was hometowned. The, the local people had it in for me. They didn't accept uh, the out-of-towners. That may be a very subtle influence in this case, and I do not know what kind of impact it will have, but it is a phenomenon which we see, and, and it does have an impact often. Yes. And uh, I, I think also, you know, anybody who questions this whole issue of, of celebrities uh, getting more justice, whether it's through fame or fortune or a combination, you just have to look at O.J. and Scott Peterson. I mean, they both were essentially charged with the same crime or similar crimes, and, and look what happened. One was very rich and one was not so rich. The way one, one was ever famous. <laughs> true, true. Right. Well, one only became famous because of <laughs> because you, he killed his you, you don't get the same benefits. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you both, Eric Dubin and Brian Oxman. Um, maybe we'll be in some trials either on the same or opposite sides in the future. I hope so. You both are worthy challenges. Thank well, you, you were fabulous, much. Carol. <laughs> uh, it was great to be in the Larry King book with you guys, beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes, and, and I would like to uh, suggest that all of my listeners pick up Beyond a Reasonable Doubt because, uh, first of all, Larry writes about the history of that phrase, which is really pretty fascinating. And also, um, we all look at this from a slightly different angle and talk about the relative morals of today's society and, and all of that and how this is all going to play out now on the uh, current case, the Phil Spector case, should be very interesting. So thank you again. And again, the book is Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.